Welcome to Not Your Ordinary Parts, a podcast where we talk about hard things associated with the human experience with the goal of increasing awareness, growth, and healing. You may hear information from professionally licensed therapists, life coaches, healers, doctors, etc. This information is not medical advice or therapy and is not meant to replace actual therapy or instructions given by a doctor or personal therapist. I'm your host, Jalon Johnson. My guest today is Joy Britt. Joy is a licensed therapist, the owner of Life Intentionally Psychotherapy, and she specializes in working with black and brown folks who want to live their best lives as their best selves. Joy earned her Bachelor of Science in Human Services from St. John's University and Master's in Social Work from New York University. Some of the areas in which Joy works with are depression, anxiety, women's health, unpacking and processing life as a person of color, racial trauma, relationships, family, grief and loss, and self-esteem. Joy is passionate about ending the stigma associated with mental health, especially in communities of color, as she feels there is a need to provide authentic therapy services for clients who might be hesitant to begin therapy due to this stigma. So Joy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for having me. I gave a brief introduction, but so that the audience can get to know you better, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I am a therapist. I'm also a podcast host, although my podcast is currently on pause. Um, but I'm from the Bronx, New York, and I now live in Georgia. Uh, yeah, I'm a Leo. We'll <laughs> <laughs> this is always important for me to say. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you agreed to do this with me. I think we're going to have a good time. I think so, too. Um, so I noticed that you're big on encouraging others to live their lives on purpose and with purpose. Mm -hmm. Can you explain exactly what that means? Yes. So the living on purpose part um, comes from a place of the, the pandemic was rough for a lot of people. Um, and I believe that a lot of people didn't even walk into 2020 with this like perfect, beautiful life. And so it just added more stuff to folks. Um, and during that time, there were like a few things going on. I quit, just quit my job. I was starting to become a full-time entrepreneur. That wasn't always easy and fun. Um, and there were times that I was like, maybe I should just end this. So the living on purpose part came from like having suicidal ideations and feeling like if I really want my life to be different, what are the things I can do? What are the changes I can make? Who are the people I need to surround myself with? So I feel like I'm living on purpose because I'm choosing to be here. And then the with purpose part is like, I think we all have a purpose. We all have something that we're meant to be doing um, or several things we're meant to be doing. And so just really encouraging myself and other people to find what that is. Do what you, the things that you love to do. It doesn't necessarily have to be the thing that makes you money. It can just be a thing that you enjoy um, that makes you want to continue to do this, this life. That's pretty dope. Um... And it's simple, but also I think we may tend to lose sight of what we're supposed to be doing mm -hmm. by thinking that we're supposed to be doing it a certain way, mm -hmm. yep. um, which which can, you know, kind of put blinders on us at times. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm grateful you brought that out. Thank you. Yeah, I think it also keeps us sometimes like scared and 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 not doing the things and feeling like we just have to like kind of stay in this box of mm. whatever life is supposed to be instead of doing things we actually really want to do wearing the uncomfortable shoes just because it's always been done mm -hmm. yep exactly i want to circle back to something you said okay. um because you said that you were having suicidal ideation mm -hmm. that happens to therapists yeah, therapists are real people too. <laughs> yeah, just because you get a degree in something doesn't mean it stops you from having those kinds of thoughts and feelings. I mean, like life is still happening. Loss is still happening. You get into arguments. You Relationships start to change. So, yeah, your bank account doesn't look how you want it to look. I mean, like any of the things that other people experience. Just because I'm a therapist doesn't mean I don't go through it. I think for me, when I first started um, interacting with therapists and 
started therapy, I was just like, wow, like these people are so advanced. Like they, they can't be experiencing the same things that I experienced. So to hear you say that, like I immediately felt it. And Mm -hmm. um, I just assumed that because you had all these tools and knowledge that you didn't, you didn't have the same life as everybody else. Yeah, no, I think that's a huge misconception. I think almost because we have the tools, we don't always use them on ourselves. And then I think a lot of times therapists can get so consumed with their their clients' lives that they're not always taking the best care of themselves. And so I'm giving everything to somebody else what's left for me and then I feel burnt out or overwhelmed or drained and then it's like I just don't want to do anything so yeah we are, so we are not excluded from that yeah 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 exactly yeah. Wow. we're not excluded from those things okay well sorry. thank you for I'm so sorry to ruin people's <laughs> thought that therapists are perfect <laughs> I think if anything, I think if anything, knowing that you're going to see a regular person who has the same struggles, but can help you because they have, you know, this skill set will kind of make people feel more comfortable. Because a lot of times we think of therapists, we think of that couch, you know, someone with a pad and they're saying, tell me how that feels or, Mm -hmm. you know, like, (laughs) and and that I don't think is appealing to a lot of people because. Right we want to get to a point where we're comfortable feeling our feelings, but we don't want to do it in a manner that feels off. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Right. So. You, I, I feel like the thing that I love about me and like some of the therapists that I'm friends with is that I feel like we're real people and we, how we show up with our friends is oftentimes how we show up in work. It's just like, like I don't have to switch off who joy is. Like joy is mm. joy. <laughs> I think that though. I mean that's 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 how it should be. You shouldn't be one way here and then another way there. Like yeah. if you're being authentic, be authentic. And I exactly. think that because someone can see, you know, that's that's just who she is. So I don't have mm-hmm. to I don't have to prepare myself to get a different version of joy when it's therapy. Mm-hmm. And then maybe if I see her in the streets or somewhere, I, I see a, a different person. And then mm-hmm. that, you know, that made me that may make me feel like I have to also switch up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I and I feel like I want my clients to feel like they can show up as themselves. So why would I show up as anyone else? Cool. Right yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you specialize in working with black and brown folks who want to live their best lives as their best selves. So two part question. How would someone know if they're not living their best life as their best self, first off? Okay. I think sometimes we don't know. I think sometimes we uh, get so used to like, this is who I am and this is how I am, that you might not be realizing like some of the, maybe like the strains you have in relationships or you might not be taking care of yourself the best way or living just like a healthy, well life. Um, so sometimes it takes somebody else to say it to you. Sometimes I think people feel it in their gut, like, oh, there's more I could be doing, or like, there's some work that I could be doing. Um, but it's not always, I feel like, obvious to people that it's not their best life. I think sometimes also, especially for black and brown people, I think there's this like limited mindset that we have, that we have to like, again, stay within like, this box we have to like do these certain things and anything outside of that um might be seen as like too much or like wanting too much or like you have too high of expectations or like that's not for us or like that's for white people or and it's just so it's like breaking down that and it's like you can we all we could have the lives that we want it might not be easy to get there but like a lot of the things that we desire are not impossible I know for me, when I wanted more, it felt off if I started to achieve Mm -hmm. and then my circle wasn't achieving, Mm -hmm. you know, because I would, I would say to myself, you're doing too much, you know, fall fall back a little bit just so nobody else gets uncomfortable. But that, 
mindset and and that way of being won't allow you to reach your full potential. You won't. Mm-mm. Nope. Because then you're 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 dimming your light so that other people's can shine brighter. And sometimes people around you need to see you do it so they can say, "Oh wow, I could do that too." Mm. Yes. Sometimes you <laughs> sometimes you have to be the one to do it. You have to be the blueprint. Right. Of like what that. this best life is. But nobody wants to do it because everybody thinks they're stepping out of their lane. Yeah. So, well, not nobody, but I mean, there are people doing it, but I, I can't speak for everybody. But I, I know, you know, when, when I wanted different and wanted more, it felt uncomfortable because I felt like I was stepping out of my place, mm-hmm. the place that, you know, where I was told this is where you operate from because this this is how you play your role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's also folks with a limited mindset telling us this is what that is. And it, I mean, it does take doing something like that's kind of radical and extreme. And so some people is like, I'm going to do something differently or like, I'm going to try something and I might fail and that's okay. Or it could actually work out. And that might be sometimes scarier Mm. than it actually failing. (laughs) That's true. It's a lot to think about, for sure. All right, second part of that question. What does the transformation to getting to the better life and better self look like? So I like to have people think about where they want to be, and then we work backwards. So if you want to like be successful in your career and have a family and be financially stable, okay, and that's not where you are now, what are the steps that we need to do to get there? What are, who are the maybe people you need to meet? What are the conversations you need to have? What are the like things you need to change or, or add to your mindset? Um, what is this work going to look like that you need to do to get you to where you want to be? Um, and then we kind of just like work that way. We set goals that are based on where they, again, want to be and we work to it. And some of that is like having a conversation with like your caregiver about, um, and, and it could be a camp conversation. It could be like us just processing it in a session of like why they even have these, these thoughts and feelings about themselves. Or it is ending relationships with friends or family or partners um, because they are not, they are maybe like holding you back or hindering you from, from reaching your full potential and living your best life. Like it could look like, a number of things. It might be going back to school for people. It might be quitting a job or applying for a new job. Anything. <laughs> Anything. I yeah. like that. Learning some new tools to be able to like cope or manage life or stressors or like how to have difficult conversations. Like it could be a number of things. Work. Good work. Work. It's work. <laughs> Not like I want to do these things and then it just happens. I mean that some people's life might work that way, but not me. So I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think the actual follow through is where a lot of us tend to to hang our hat because we yeah. say we want something and it feels good to talk about it, but then when it actually comes to, you know, doing that work, going out and getting that shovel and digging that hole and, and burying mm-hmm. the things that are keeping you stagnant and, you know, not where you want to be. That is where it can be difficult because mm-hmm. we are seen as, as being different. Um, you know, we're going against the grain. It, it may upset some of the, the elders and matriarchs in our family system because we've done things like this for three generations mm-hmm. and it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, so why are you making changes now? You know, you're, exactly. you're, you're going to, and a lot of times you have to be that that quote unquote cycle breaker, and, and that's mm-hmm. that can be difficult. Can it can be. be, and there can be a lot of pushback that comes with that. Mm. Yeah. For sure. What was it that made you want to start doing this work? <laughs> I feel like this it's like a two part conversation. Oh, like a two part answer. So um, when I was thirteen, my mom was diagnosed with a chronic illness called scleroderma. And in high school, it started to really affect me because I became a caregiver at like 
15, 16. Um, my dad, my parents were married. So my dad was there, but he was retired and kind of felt like I don't have to wake up in the morning to help my wife go get ready for work if my daughter is already getting ready to go to school. So I had to like get myself ready, get my mother ready, then go to school and be a student. Um, then my junior year of high school, I got a job. No, yeah, I got a part-time job. So then I'm a caregiver, I'm in school, I'm working. It just was a lot. Um, and so I was going to talk to a counselor in school and I believe she was a social worker. And it was just kind of the space that I was able to process and vent and say the things that I couldn't say at home or I couldn't say to my friends because I grew up in one of those, like, what happens in this house stays in this house kind of families. Um, and so I could go to this lady and I could say, like, I'm really upset that my mother is sick and I can't do anything about it or, like, that the doctors can't help and this is frustrating and I hate that she's sick and I hate school now. And like, can I just drop out of high school and like not do any of this stuff? Um, and I feel like it was really a place that I felt supported and I felt heard and seen. Um, and I, and, and then it was like, but I don't, I didn't necessarily at the time say I wanted to do this work. It wasn't until, um, college. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? And then I got this postcard from my school about a human service major. And I was like, oh, I could do that. I could go to school for that. And then I took a few classes. I really loved the work. And I was like, it started off like, I just want to help people. And I really didn't know what that meant or what that was going to look like at the time. Um, but then I remembered high school and I was like, oh, I could be this this person for kids because kids aren't always listened to by adults because adults think that they are always smarter because they're older and they're bigger. Um, and if I provide this space for kids where they feel like they can talk to somebody and somebody is listening and they see them, like that is my dream. So um, I started doing Work, more work with families and then I ended up transitioning to working at a high school and then I worked at an elementary school so I could be that person for kids and then you know pandemic happened and, <laughs> and then working with kids virtually is not the same I don't feel is the same as working with kids in person um so now I don't currently work with with children but um so yeah that's that was kind of how that all came about um, I'm sorry that you had to have such a huge workload and responsibility at such a young age. Um, I, I know that that is what life looks like for a lot of us growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, also, I'm glad that you were able to use your experience to turn it into a tool for others who maybe don't have a voice or didn't know how to turn that into something that could be productive and worthwhile for the community. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, I wanted to touch on something that you said. Okay. And oof, you said that adults may sometimes think that they are smarter just and no more just because they're older or bigger. Mm -hmm. How can someone, um, I guess, work their way out of, believing that if that's what they've always been told and they may have known that it's not necessarily true but they couldn't do anything about it someone as the adult or someone as the child maybe uh an adult now who grew up that way okay. in their household i mean i think some of us just have like concrete examples of like just because my parent or grandparent aunt uncle whoever was older doesn't mean they knew more than we did um, I think what like I try to do and I think my friends too is like just because our parents raised us and we like turned out okay <laughs> I mean whatever that looks like or or is um doesn't mean everything that they did was the right thing so like what can we do whether we have our own children or not or just interact with children like what can we do to make to to like the kid is asking a question it, you can answer the question it doesn't like take anything from you 
or make you less of an adult because you're not because you're answering a child's question if they have if they're asking why because as adults we ask questions and we want answers so I think it's like almost like normalizing that children are people too even though they're smaller and younger like they they're the same um and they have the same kind of needs that we have um like I think it's and again I worked in schools I think it's interesting that there's this expectation for children to sit still for hours and as adults we don't sit still for hours or it's like pay attention and it's like do we always pay attention for everything? No, we're like in these meetings and we're like fidgeting. We're on our phones. We're talking to the person next to us. So why do we expect more from kids when as adults we can't even do the things? Um, so yeah, it's just kind of like seeing them as people too, even though they're little. <laughs> and and, uh, and as an adult, if, sorry, sorry. And no, as an adult, no. if your experience was that, um like validating that you did have needs and you did have feelings and like I remember being like oh, I'm tired and my mother's like you're not tired like, how you know I'm not tired like <laughs> I, I am just because I didn't go to work and I have to deal right. with people all day doesn't mean my tired looks different I mean my tired might look different than yours but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist or like kids are like I'm bored you're not bored it's like go read a book like I don't want to do that so, you know, just, I think as an adult, giving your, giving your, your, your inner child some of those things that they might've missed. And also maybe like, if you're able to have the conversation with your parent, I, some, you know, I think that that can be very powerful for a relationship with an adult child and a parent if, if, if it can be done. I read, um adult children of emotionally immature parents mm. and man it was it was so validating like some of the things that you just mentioned like you know as a child if you say i'm tired and your parents say well you're not tired mm-hmm. because you didn't have to go to work or you didn't have to deal with a, a boss who mm-hmm. you know maybe didn't look at you as a full human being because you were black or mm-hmm. just anything mm-hmm. because you're a child your experience isn't valid because you don't have adult problems Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of us growing up that way, we lost a sense of self and a little bit of dignity because we were always told our experience didn't matter because we weren't experiencing the same thing. Exactly. Yep. And I think some of us struggle with now like advocating for ourselves and speaking up for ourselves, especially when someone is in an authoritative role, like a boss or a parent still. Um, because that's been taken from us as kids and like I love I mean and sometimes even I know I'm not perfect sometimes as an adult when a kid is asking me a whole bunch of questions and they got a lot to say it's like somebody by now my parents would have like told me to shut up but also like I know what that did to me and so I will be patient and give this child the things because they just want to know Right. And like how, what would have happened if like some of us weren't shut down or told to be quiet or like sent away or, you know, told that we weren't feeling something we were feeling? Like what would we have been now? I always wonder. So, like my friend's daughter is a ball of energy and. You know, she's getting the, she talks too much in school now. And that was always my thing. And it's like, I hope they don't shut her up or like make her feel like she can't be herself because she's amazing. Yeah, I think we should nurture that with curiosity mm-hmm. and saying you're amazing should be said much more often than mm-hmm. be quiet or mm-hmm. you're not this or you're not that. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Like, uh, how can we use we, that? I think we covered that point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so I want to give you some time to talk about the areas that you're well versed in. Okay. Um, if a potential client came to you and said that they wanted help with depression or anxiety, let's say, mm-hmm. um, what would be some steps that you would take to help them with that? Okay. I mean, so my first session usually is just kind of getting to know somebody more. So asking a whole bunch of questions about who they are now and where 
who they were before and who are the people in their lives and, and maybe like when they started to notice these things. Like when was the first time you might have felt anxious and like when you are anxious, what does it feel like? What does it look like? How do you, what are things that like have helped it? And then we talk about like depression, like when did you first notice that? Have there been anything that, any things that you've tried to help reduce it? Does it come around certain times of year? And you know, what it, what the treatment looks like varies, you know, person to person, but a lot of it is just providing people with tools um, and space to be able to like process and unpack it because some of us have experienced this way before we like had a name for it or way before like social media and therapy became cool and people were able to like watch a TikTok and be like, oh, I think I have this thing. So really being able to like help them process it in like this safe space that they don't feel like they feel validated they feel heard they feel seen um and they can work towards reducing symptoms or i don't know if eliminating it is is forever the goal i mean for some things maybe um but definitely being able to like manage it like if you're not in therapy or if you cannot reach out to your therapist right now what are you doing in this moment when you're having a panic attack like what are the things that you're trying but a lot of times with therapy um and i and i feel like this is a overall thing is like if you're not ready to do the work none of it is going to work like just because you're in therapy doesn't mean it is a magic wand to your life if you're not willing to to try things outside of the session so like if your therapist suggests something to try it <laughs> it might not work but it, it nothing works if you're not doing anything so i think being fully ready to be a part of what this therapy work looks like is very important for clients because you have to do your part too it's true i mean nothing you can't you can't go to the gym and just stand there and it's right <laughs> it doesn't count unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right. Um, how would you help a client unpack and process life as a person of color? Hmm. I mean, I, you know, even though I think we all have similar experiences, just really being able to understand what their experience has been like. What does their family look like? What did their neighborhood growing up look like? School? Because all of those places and all of those people really impact how you see yourself and feel about yourself, especially as a person of color. Because if you were in like mostly white spaces, did you feel like you needed to um, like erase that you were a person of color? Did you feel like you stood out more? Did people like point out that you were different than them? Or if you grew up in in all black and brown spaces, even what was that like? And like, has every space since then been like that? Um, so really just, again, it's like, who are you? Every, we are all experts on ourselves. So really being able to unpack somebody's own personal experiences and and have them speak to um, what they know about their life and just kind of being able to see, again, like in terms of going back to like what your best life is, like what does that have, what is, what is that, what are your experiences and who you are have to do with like where you want to go and like who you want to be and who you want. So, and what you want to feel like, actually. I think it's it's important to realize that even though we may be reaching out to experts, whether it's a doctor, therapist, whatever have you, we are the expert of ourselves. Mm -hmm. We are the expert of our body, of our brains. That's why we have to um, answer questions so mm -hmm. that other people can get to know about who we are or what our experience is. And it's important to remember that, um, especially with doctors, because, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times with with doctors and, and this is my experience, you know, I, I, I'll go in and explain how I'm feeling and they will tell me what I'm feeling. Uh -huh. And because they're a doctor, sometimes you may feel like you have to just fall back and listen to what they say. Uh -huh. But you don't have to do that. You um, right. You this is my experience. This is what I'm willing to accept. And this is what 
I'm not willing to accept. And, and even with even with finding a good therapist, because mm-hmm. um, not every therapist is going to be a good match. And, and sometimes people will say, well, I just want to start therapy so bad that I'm willing to accept anything. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> right. Really find somebody that's a good fit for you. And even if you meet with them a time or a few times and it doesn't feel right, it's okay to say, like, yeah, I'm going to try somebody else. Yeah, I agree. And I think relatability is, is big for us as people of color because our lived experience is so different from other people's because mm-hmm. of the things that we've gone through. And other people's lived experience is so different because of things that they've gone through. So it's important also to feel like you can feel safe and that you can relate to the person that you have to get emotionally naked with in order Mm -hmm. to grow and do their work. Yep, exactly. All right. Next question I want to ask. What are some ways you assist your clients with family and relationship issues? And what are some common things that you see? Okay. I'll start with the common. The common things is like, grown-ups and their parents still seeing them as a child and not being able to like not feeling like they're able to tell their parents what they really think and feel or or not being able to talk about feelings period um some black parents just don't want to hear about feelings like you don't have them you shouldn't have them you just got to keep on going I know, um, like, even with my friends and and with my clients, like, people who are Caribbean tend to be way more shut off to talking about feelings, and you just kind of got to keep going. Like, there's no time to cry or be sad or have any feeling other than, like, I'm productive and I'm doing the thing. Um, so, So really being able to help adults talk to their parents as adults, too has been a real common thing. Um, also like not feeling guilty about maybe not wanting to be as close or have a relationship because of something that happened. I think that a lot of folks have this like, well, that's still your fill in the blank with the relationship. And like, you can still create a boundary with that person, even if they are your mother or your father or your grandmother or your sister or whatever like just because they're related to you doesn't mean that they are able to just walk over you um and so some of the ways that we do that is we role play conversation sometimes i'll just have them write a letter to the person and the letter can be just something that you're able to just kind of maybe you just need to get the feelings out and dump them and you don't necessarily need to have the conversation um or maybe the letter just forms like serves as a guide to be able to to do to do the discussing with the person that um, in your family that you want to talk about the things with. Sometimes it looks like having family sessions or finding a, a different therapist to work as a family with. But I strongly encourage people to set boundaries with family because those, I think, are the hardest boundaries to set. Because again, because you're related to them, there does feel like this gray area to kind of be able to have unlimited access, but that's not healthy for you you can say no (laughs) and it's a hard no yeah Yeah. no with a period is a complete sentence it is yes yes even if it's your mother (laughs) yeah right right i didn't want to say that so i'll let you say it um so we're talking about some family dynamics and how you know, some parents and the older generation, they, they feelings were not up for discussion. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, um, is it possible to get to a place of deep healing if we don't allow ourselves to feel deeply? I don't think you can get to a full place of deep healing. I think you can do some surface work that is, that might be beneficial Um, But I think you're not being fully honest with yourself if you're not acknowledging how you feel about certain things. Um, I love the feelings wheel as a way to give people language around feelings because I don't think we all are taught it or have it. Um, Like we know like happy, sad, angry, but there's so many other feelings. And sometimes 
we're feeling those other things, but because we just know happy, sad, angry, or whatever, then then those become the well, oh, I'm always angry or I'm always happy. And it's like maybe you're not. Um, so really being able to like be honest and explore what those feelings are and being able to name them, I think is helpful obviously personally, but also in being able to like navigate relationships and like different areas that we're in and like, what does this place even feel like to me? Mm -hmm. And is this a place that I need to be in? Is this a person that I need to be around? Uh, I like the fact that you differentiated deep healing from good work because Mm -hmm. I think anyone who is trying to be better and actually taking the steps toward it, you'll get the reward of change. Mm-hmm. But the the deep work, I think, is where you need to feel deeply in order to understand all of the, the processes and things that have been happening internally in order to give them a name mm-hmm. and in order to not be triggered, reactive, and all those things when you do feel them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So talking about feelings, um, is it difficult to understand the difference between how we feel and who we are? Mm. I think for a lot of people, feelings is not a thing that we talk about. <laughs> like, even like if I say to somebody like, how are you, like now I say, how are you feeling? And people will say like, I'm at work. That's not how you're feeling. <laughs> like that is what you are currently doing. I don't care. Not that I don't care, but like, that's not what I'm asking. I think some people are so, and I, and I feel like it's, I'll, I'll say black people because that's who I mostly talk to. But I feel like we, it's not usually how we lead a conversation. Like feelings comes in later, maybe if ever at all. And I think we only really talk about feelings with people we feel the most close to Um, and who you are is impacted on your feelings, but like they're different. They're separate things. Like you are not your feelings all the time and your feelings are not who you are all the time. Um, I remember growing up, my old heads used to always say as a greeting, how you feeling? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't necessarily a question. No. It was just <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. What's up? You know, it, it could be interchanged with any of those things. Mm-hmm. What's good? How you feeling? Mm-hmm. But you're and not I, supposed to answer it with an actual feeling. You, or you no. say, fine. Oh, I'm good. Right. Even if you're not really that. And you, you say you're an autoresponder the same way if you're out of office and you have an email that replies. Mm-hmm. Because no one ever, well, I won't say no one, but it wasn't normal if someone said, how you feeling? You stop and say, you know what? I'm a little melancholy today. Yeah, yeah. They would look at you like you're stupid. Like, what is this fool talking about? <laughs> like, I didn't ask you that. And it's like, yeah, right. it is. <laughs> I think the, the more we get in tune with our feelings, um, the more we learn the, the language of emotion and we're able to communicate our feelings mm-hmm. um, in a way that we're comfortable with. And to where we can understand the difference between how we feel and who we are. Because like you said, if, if someone says, oh, I'm always angry all the time, that doesn't necessarily make you an angry person. Mm-hmm. That just means that you're processing something that you're feeling. And maybe you haven't done a good job at actually sitting with it mm-hmm. so that you can move on from it. Right. Exactly. And are you even really angry again? It's like, or are, is that another feeling or another need that's not being met that is then creating the anger, but that's not necessarily the feeling? Or like you said, who you are. I saw a post the other day. I can't remember who it was from, um, but it talked about a type of depression that is like a agitated depressive and that the actual anger or agitation is at the surface, but it's because of actually being depressed. Mm. And I was just like, wow, that's wild. Mm -hmm. 
That's wild. So that made me feel like there there can be emotions that we show, but they could be used as a filter to hide what's actually going on. Because in order to get to that deep emotion, you have to be vulnerable and being vulnerable could be scary or it could be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it it unlocks so many doors to like healing and self-awareness and all the things. All the things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, another question is, if others aren't comfortable feeling their feelings, mm-hmm. is it common that they'll try to manage others' feelings so that they are able to stay in their emotional comfort zone? I think so. I think it, it, it's like you feel like someone is always angry or someone is always emotional. You can try to navigate a situation to keep them from being that so that it does make you feel safe and like you're kind of like in charge. Um, and that could be a little manipulative. <laughs> like, how can I, how can I, how can I control you and your feelings so that I can feel safe? But we're also not in charge of other people's feelings. And I think once we release ourselves of that bondage, <laughs> then it, it might not feel good in the moment and it might feel uncomfortable, but again, it unlocks this level of vulnerability that you can both have and um, maybe really be able to like have a deeper relationship or a deeper connection. Or you can decide that this person is not somebody that I want to be around also. I know that at times at work, um, there may be somebody who is just always miserable, right? And instead of being authentic, we say, okay, well, I got to walk on Mm eggshells so that this person doesn't get, um, you know, uncomfortable or agitated. So that too could be a way of trying to manage someone's emotions and Mm -hmm. feelings, but you're doing it at the expense of authenticity. Yeah. You're also doing it at the expense of yourself. I think walking on eggshells might be beneficial for the other person, but like, what is it doing to you? Like, Mm -hmm. is there a way to not address things passively that don't fracture relationships? I think so. You don't have to take, be like an asshole, but you can also like be honest. Well, that would take open and honest communication. Right. And um, if if you're not good at communicating, then that may be difficult. It may be easier to walk on. You may feel that it's okay. easier to walk on eggshells than to have a, a conversation that would um, require talking about something uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So that leads right into my next question. Um, Just because someone is an adult, does that mean that they can communicate effectively? Absolutely. (laughs) I almost think adults are worse at communicating than like children in a lot of ways. Um, Because children, I think, are honest and they say the things that come to their minds. (laughs) Whether, because they're not thinking about anybody's feelings. They are just living and being and and, and speaking. And I think sometimes we are taught one to care about others' feelings more than our own. Or you're not taught to care about anybody and then you just are mean and nasty. Um, and it's like finding that balance of like how to be assertive and speak directly without, again, being like a jerk and being mean, but also not tiptoeing around situations and not fully expressing yourselves. I think a lot of us really struggle, as adults really struggle with communication. Also, a lot of us grew up in this era of like, you don't talk about things or like you don't ask questions. So we form a lot of assumptions in our heads instead of just asking and like seeking clarity. So we're a little screwed as adults. I feel like when it comes to that, and a lot of it is like learn. I feel like that's a huge thing, especially in like relationships. Um, People, even when they are disagreeing, a disagreement doesn't have to lead to an argument. It can just be like, we don't have the same opinion on something and that's okay. We're different people from different experiences in life that we shouldn't always think the same thing. Um, 
but people then become escalated because they don't feel heard or or they start to yell because maybe they grew up in a home where you had to scream to get to to be heard or um they're only listening to respond they're not listening to understand what somebody else is saying we all could do a lot better when it comes to communicating (laughs) i think we can learn a lot from kids too just we could learn a lot from kids (laughs) I, I kind of went off a little bit thinking about what you said about children being better communicators and they don't have any preconceived notions about mm-hmm. anything. If they have a question, they ask it because they're inquisitive. They want to know it, you know, and if we could get back to that in, in our adulthood, but I think along the way, you know, there may have been some caregivers that, that taught us and trained us that asking questions, would, would get you in trouble. So we may not feel safe asking questions um, or just communicating, period, because we may have lost our voice. Um, that's why therapy is important. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Such an advocate for it. <laughs> so what are some ways that um, someone can be more direct and assertive in communicating, especially if maybe um, they find themselves using sarcasm or being passive aggressive mm-hmm. yeah i think it's like kind of removing those filters and saying like what is the thing that i really want to say and say that hmm. like kind of taking off the extra words the like flowery language like if i want somebody to stop doing something how can i say i want you to stop doing x y and z with like, and it could you could give a reason like, hey, I'd like you to stop doing that because it makes it bothers me, or like it doesn't make me feel or whatever the case may be. But I think we get into like, let me add extra words or let me make it into a joke because then it'll hit differently. But you still might not get the result that you're looking for if you make it a joke. If somebody is like, oh, now we're just joking about it, like just say the thing. It might be uncomfortable. But being direct is kind of how you get things done, for your, for at least for yourself. Again, if somebody doesn't respond to it that way, maybe that's a different conversation of like, well, now is this? If, if I'm if I'm giving you this very direct request or statement, and you like aren't listening to me, or you are um, like negating my feelings. Then I get to decide like what I do with that, but I know that I was very clear in my request. What if what if it's difficult for someone just to to formulate the question mm-hmm. that they want to ask, or mm-hmm. um, they're so fearful of what may happen because of maybe previous experiences? Would it be okay to then maybe do like some some role playing, like you said mm-hmm. you do in therapy, where you? You use a friend and you say, this is what I want to say. Can we go over this or something like that? Yep. I would suggest role playing, even writing something down and practicing it. I don't, I think if, especially for difficult conversations and you're like feeling all of these fears, I don't suggest the first time you say something like that to be with the person, especially if you're like, they're going to give me pushback. Hmm. You kind of almost need to like be able to say it so effortlessly that even if they say something back, maybe you're ready with what the next line is. And it might feel like a script, but if, again, your goal is to get somebody to hear what you're saying, you can follow through with that. You just might have to practice it. And the first time is usually the hardest. Or depending on the relationship you have with somebody, it's the hardest. It's harder to create boundaries with people you're close to. Strangers is like, whatever, I can tell you no. I don't care about this. Like, this relationship is not a relationship. But, like, somebody that you care about and you don't want their feelings to be hurt, it's a little harder to have those conversations, but they're not impossible. Right. Um, Are there different methods that could be used to maybe have that conversation? Like, if you're just terrified to have a a face-to-face conversation or over the phone, um... Could you start with maybe a text or an email? Yeah, yeah. 
I think you can do that. I think sometimes times people get like really caught up in like you have to have a face to face. I don't think you should text everything, but I think some things are textable and like especially if you're like I know that if I am standing in front of this person, the words are not going to come out and I've practiced a thousand times. Send a text. Send a text and it can maybe you could start with like laying that foundation and then maybe you can graduate into an in-person conversation. But like, and is the, you can use a okay. tool that works best for you. Okay. And I was going to say, is there any specific manner in which it has to happen? Like it has to look like this or when you're working with your clients and, you know, however you want to do it is the best way. Is that a, an option? I don't know about however you want to do it. It's the best way. I mean, I think it depends on what that looks like. I mean, it looks differently for everybody. Um, but again, like you're the expert on yourself. And again, like if somebody is talking about someone that they know, they know that person obviously more than I. I only know what they've told me about that person. So if they're like, if I get in front of my sister and I try to tell her, about what she did and she's going to become defensive and walk away, maybe you do send your sister a text message mm -hmm. because then she has time to read that and process it or not read it. And then again, you then get to decide what you do next. If she's not going to acknowledge my text message and I am not at the place, again, even with practice that I feel like I can talk to her in person, do we let some time pass? Do we maybe give her you know a week to respond back to the text and then maybe we can set up some time to meet in person do we have somebody else mediate the conversation with us um so yeah i think it just kind of depends i don't think but but again i think a lot of this is just practice if it's you never have done it before it obviously feels scary or if you've like dealt with super unhealthy, toxic, manipulative people in your past, I mean, we know that everything we say is going to be negated. So there does feel like this hesitation in being open and honest because it doesn't matter. And it does to you. So then you should say it. Nuggets. <laughs> Drop the nuggets. I think that this is helpful because it's a conversation about things that are difficult and it's providing a tool that maybe someone wouldn't be able to, um, what's the word I'm looking for, to discern in a different setting. Yeah. I, I think that um, people who, who can relate to us and our conversation and our mm -hmm. backgrounds may be able to look at this and say, you know what, I've, I've heard that before, but I didn't hear it this way. Mm -hmm. So that was why I wanted to ask some questions that I know are difficult and that may plague some people because of the relatability that we'll be able to give. Yeah. Um, it it does sometimes make a huge difference. It does. It does. All right. So this question may seem a little simple or even silly, but is it easy to start therapy and why or why not? I I don't think it's always easy to start therapy. Actually, I don't think it's easy for a lot of people to start therapy. Um, because again, there come, becomes this piece of like, do I want to be in therapy or do I like, should I go to therapy? Because I think people could argue that we all should go. But if you, again, if you get there and you're not going to do the work, then it's a waste of time and money. Um, so making the decision to go and saying, like, I'm actually ready to do this, it can be really hard for people. Because therapy is not just like, and this person did this to me, and this person did this to me, and this person did this to me. It's a lot of like, and I did this. It's looking in a mirror. It's reflecting on the roles you've played, the things you've done or not done or said or not said. And that is hard. We don't always want to be self-aware and reflective and maybe the bad guy in some people's narratives, but sometimes we are. And like those, that part of therapy isn't always fun. Um, it might not also be fun to like dig up some of the things that have happened in our past and 
some of those painful events that we might not have ever talked about um, or said out loud. So just not even knowing how like that can go when you are starting to um, begin to unpack these things can be terrifying people. So yeah. And, and, and the process of finding a therapist is not always easy. So that sometimes becomes disheartening to folks of like, well, I've been looking, I've reached out to people, there's nobody available that I want to talk to. So yeah, it's it's not easy. But if you go and you do the work, it can be super beneficial. I remember when I was starting therapy and I started to make some phone calls. Mm-hmm. And um it it's uneasy because mm-hmm. you you have to uh, you have to be honest and you have to be accountable for the things that you do and the role that you play, which a lot of us sometimes don't want to do because it's difficult. Mm-hmm. And um I made a couple of phone calls and I got voicemail and I was like, "Well, Oh, well, I tried. (laughs) But then, you know, I I was like, okay, well, that's not how this works. You have to talk to somebody and see if you can set an appointment and see how you like the person and all that. So, yeah, it can be quite a task. Some people are, you know, can find somebody their first try and some people it takes multiple. Right. True. My first therapist was not my only therapist, you know, going through a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important to say that too. Um, because like like I was saying earlier, like with a doctor, you you mm-hmm. have to find someone that is a good fit for you and that you can be comfortable with and be honest with because you're you're doing soul work. Mm-hmm. You know, and and to 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 dig to dig deep down into your soul and share. You can't just do that with anybody. Right. Exactly. All right. So last question, the biggest one. Okay. (laughs) If you could use your platform to encourage anyone who may be struggling with the idea of therapy or or on the fence about talking to someone about their big feelings and emotions, what would you say? I would say just try it. Um, it could really be the thing that changes the trajectory of your life and how you feel about yourself, how you feel about the places you are in and the people who are around you. And if you don't like it, you don't have to keep going, but you should try it because it could really change your life. Boom. As a therapist and as a and as a client, <laughs> I, I've definitely seen the growth and the healing that really doing the work and finding someone that's a good fit can really do for you. So just give it a try. The worst case that happens is you're like, it didn't work. I'd suggest you try to find somebody else. But, you know, if you go and you're open and honest and you don't lie to your therapist, you do your homework and you do things outside of your sessions, you could really see some great changes. People lie to their therapists? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, people lie to their therapists. And we know sometimes. Why do you think that is? I think I think we all in some way want to be liked. And so I think mm-hmm. if you're like, I'm a I've done something really terrible or and like really terrible is usually not even the, the, the bar. But I think some people just like don't want their therapist to judge them. Or they, you know, and like this is this is your life. We are people, we do things. It doesn't I, I mean unless you say like, hey, I killed somebody today, probably your therapist is not gonna like get rid of you. I mean they probably wouldn't get rid of you because of that either, but you know, it's like just be honest and it's okay. <laughs> if you broke your arm and you go to the doctor and say, you know, I'm having a little bit of discomfort and you know your arm is broken, right. that does not help you. It does not at all. And I think that's similar with with therapy. If if we're not willing to be honest, we can't get 
we can't get the treatment and the healing that we need. Mm -hmm. So say your arm is broke. Right, right, right. Say, yeah, I cursed out my whole family yesterday. Let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It is. Well, Joy, I want to say this has been such a joy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I knew at some point I was going to do that. Um, <laughs> I love this conversation. Um, I love what you do. I was so happy that you agreed to do this with me. And um, I just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was great. If someone wants to find you online or on social media, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the joy of social work. And joy is spelled with an I instead of a Y. Okay. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for your time, for joining us with me for what you do and how you do it. Thank you.